On this episode of Dweeb Dive, we're right back into it with episode 6 and 7 of The Witcher, rounding the corner to finish out the season. So let's go ahead and batten down those hatches and... Dive, dive! Bravo 6, going dark. What's going on, everyone? Austin here with my co-host, Connor. Back at it to bring you The Witcher. Uh, We're getting pretty close to wrapping up the series, but before we get into it, Connor, man, how are you doing today? I'm doing lovely, Austin. It's been a challenging week at my place of business, but uh, I look forward to this every week, man. This is like, this is my therapy. This is how I I let my hair down, Uh, what little hair I have, and... uh, this is pretty much the only thing I have got going in my life. How about you? Um, probably uh, the same answer, except I get married in ten days, which is crazy. So, Ooh. right? Wow! I honestly forgot. <laughs> hey, hey! Not no no no. Hold on, hold on. Not like not like. Oh, like I just I forgot you existed, and you and Jacqueline as an entity didn't exist or something like that. It's you know. Sometimes you just forget stuff. Yeah, dude, you're only the best man. It's not a big deal. It's fine. Oh my god, I'm the best man. <gasps> I gotta, uh, I gotta, I gotta write that. Uh, I gotta write something, Austin. Don't, doesn't does it concern you though? Don't worry about it. Not at all concerning oh, you at all. I wish I could say I was shocked, but I'm just really not. <laughs> well, what's funny is I delivered the best man speech for another Austin, my brother Austin, at his wedding. And uh, if I can just, you know, polish my own uh, my own shoes here, pretty dang good. I mean, the n- not a dry eye in the house, Austin. People were worshiping me when I was done with that speech. So you just better you better batten down your own hatches there, bud. Because by the time I'm done giving that speech, all eyes on me. You can forget about Jacqueline having the night of her life because people are going to be hoisting me on their shoulders, saying, "What an orator." What a, what a thespian! What an experience! I, I, they, they won't, even, they won't remember it as Austin and Jacqueline's wedding. They'll remember it as the first performance of the world's greatest performer. Wow. Something like that. So very uh, Yaskier of you, <laughs> I would say. You know, you I'll, I'll take that. I don't think he's quite as uh, evil as I am, but I think that's a compliment mo- more than anything. Yeah, dude. You're basically donkey. <laughs> it's cool. I do know how cool to make dude, some man. pretty mean waffles, Austin. Ooh, that's big. That's Huge. a big deal. Massive. Well, but is it time? I believe it is time to go ahead and just get right into it. All righty. But before we do, <laughs> God damn. before we get into it, um. Just want to say thanks again. Uh, currently, we are three downloads away from 500 all-time across our episodes. Wow. So thank you again. And we're going to go ahead and tack on the country of Portugal. One listener out there in Portugal. So uh, Portugal, France, Qatar, Australia, New Zealand, and then obviously the United States of America. Yeah. Um, just thank you so much. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Dweeb Dive, Facebook, and Instagram. We're about to release some new content on Instagram to brighten up your days, I'll say. 
So go ahead, give us a follow there and start leaving us reviews. I think I alluded to it last episode. That is our next step. Uh, Get some reviews just to continue. Feedback is always good so we can improve this show. And then on top of that, just suggestions of the direction we Mm -hmm. might go in. Um, I think on the docket is Altered Carbon Season 2, which I'm super pumped for. But it could change. You could know, change. I don't know. We were just floating that. We were just floating that around. So if we get a good idea, a good suggestion, we'll yep. definitely take it and run and dive into it. So don't forget to nice. leave reviews on iTunes. Interact with us on social media. Yep. New content coming on Instagram. Woo. So now we can dive into it. Episode six. That was my bubble sound effect for diving. Wow. Just go ahead and trash that. Okay, go ahead and trash that. You got it. episode six rare species who rare species (laughs) we can't do this again man you sounded like lou holtz just now (laughs) (laughs) welcome back to the podcast episode six rare species rare species (laughs) i would oh i would love to have heard a lou holtz podcast if I if I may, it would probably sharpen uh, your ability to interpret things. That's for sure. <laughs> no, uh, no flack to the uh, the Holtz family. Um, is he alive? <laughs> I believe so. Well, if he is, God bless him. Uh, hang in there, old old man. We love you. Thanks for tuning into this uh, episode of Dweeb Dive. By the way, exactly. Big fan, big fan of the show, Lou Holtz. Okay, I, we we. Let, Episode six. Episode six. Here we go. We open with our good buddy Yaskier, who it looks like uh, has repaired the relationship some with Geralt. Uh, but Geralt's nowhere to be found. Yaskier's just kind of hanging out, writing a new song. The Witcher's been gone for for an hour. Um, the men who hired him are starting to get restless. So Yaskier's just chilling out. These guys are getting restless. Like, oh, the Witcher's definitely dead. Let's just steal the money back and and leave. And Yaskier's like, okay, definitely not a good idea to steal Geralt's stuff. Uh, really, really bad idea, actually. And it's about to get ugly. Uh, poor Yaskier is not really a fighter. Um, he's definitely more of the lover variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looks like it's going to get ugly when this old guy out of nowhere, uh, I believe his name's Borch, yep. three jackdaws. Nailed it. Um, he steps in, and he's got two Zeracanian. Yep. Zeracanian. Zeracanian. No, you had it. You had it. You're on Z- a roll. Zeracanian Zer- warriors. He, no. Tia and Via. Easy peasy? Uh, Lemon squeezy? It's, it's, it's not Ia sound. It's an Ea sound. But, oh, yeah, Tia close. and Vea? Yeah, close enough. Okay. That's fine. Um, and he shows up. And he's like, I don't think you want to do that. Um, and the guy continues to be... Uh, jackass and Teus straight up snaps the guy's neck, kills Woo! him. And Yaskier's like, uh, nice, wow. And sure enough, right after that happens, a monster's bloody head lands right into the middle of the group. Geralt jumps down, and he's kind of just like, Hey, what's up? Uh, and and Borch is uh, just like, Oh, I've been looking for you there, Geralt. And Yaskier is like, Geralt, this. This woman just killed a man with his hands. So I guess that's one thing that Geralt has yet to do is kill something with his hands. He's, he's always got to use a weapon. So. That we know of. 
that we know that of. That was true. That's true. That we know of. But I feel like Yaskier would have had a song about it. Maybe he would have pried out the information. Hmm. Yes, no. Perhaps, but I would say probably pre-Yaskier Geralt, I'm sure he killed somebody with his bare hands. He's definitely killed more than one lady with just a look of his eye. That's for sure. Huh. Hey oh. Yeah, he has. Woo! <laughs> um but we're going we're in a way large and rowdy tavern called the Pensive Whoa! Dragon. Whoa! Oh. Whoa. <laughs> Easy there, boy. I just want to say the outset of this story, uh, it's probably my second favorite in the books, the way the way this one starts. Uh, they did a pretty good job here. Again, I think most I'm starting to realize most of the changes, I'm almost positive, were because of budgetary reasons. Uh, and I'll explain why I think that. In the original book scene, uh, this is a whole mess of townspeople. It's a whole crowd that are waiting for Geralt. And there's a lot more drama, a lot more flair. There, There's a big sweaty guy saying, oh, no, like, rah, he's not coming back. And Dandelion, uh, he, he is part of the story, but he's not there in the books. Not yet. He's not part of the story yet. So instead, the Borch and his two Zeracanian uh, cohorts, they arrive and kind of talk to the crowd. And it kind of a same, similar situation plays out. But um, it be, basically, Geralt comes out. He's stinking of filth. Um, tensions escalate and a man, all he does is draw his sword. Okay. That's it. There, there, there is, a, there is the thing of, oh, you know, maybe we should take his stuff, blah, blah, blah. He does draw his sword, but he doesn't swing. He doesn't do anything with it. And the tensions deescalate and Borch is about to walk away with Geralt and his two Zeracanians. But he says, oh, wait, one more thing. And the Zeracanian decapitates the guy who drew his sword. Uh, And it's one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite lines, uh, a sword once drawn. And that there's an ellipse after that. It's, it's a rule they have apparently that if you draw your sword against someone in anger uh, with the intent to kill, you have just signed away your right to live according to Zeracanians. So uh, I I am glad that the story started in the Netflix series with them, Cracking a guy's neck because I think it conveys the same message essentially that they are very skilled killers. That's what they are. But uh, yeah, on to the tavern, on to the eating. Quite literally a good transition to the eating because they get in, it's rowdy. Um, Borch is like, hey, we're we're dining in with the Witcher. Uh, he he's Geralt saying, yeah, I'm hungry, and he literally is like, all right, one of everything, and keep the ale coming. Quite, I mean, just a, a great player. big party. He's a player. Which is, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he sits him down and he, you know, they start dining and we kind of figure out what the whole point of him looking for Geralt was. And he says, you know, dining with the Witcher is a first for him. Um, and he has very few firsts left. And there's a green dragon that's been spotted in King Nidamir's mountains. Nice. He's, or not he, but the dragon has uh, done a lot of damage, as most dragons do. Uh, Burning, pillaging, just because that's not necessarily in their nature, but uh, it's threatened. Um, Yeah. And they tried to kill it and pilfer the treasure, but they only wounded it, so... Uh, you know, wounded animals are always quite dangerous. And as they're discussing this, I think it's very, very, very important to 
go to Yaskier really fast because he is doing his absolute best to charm Taya and Vea. And he talks, he describes them. He's talking to him and he says, you have an incredible neck. Yeah. Like a elegant, <laughs> sexy goose guzzling. Not, you know, not a lot of game. Not For a guy that supposedly had a lot of romantic encounters, not not real good with the old words. I thought it was great. Would that would, would that have worked on you? If the roles were reversed, um, you know, no, probably not. I, uh, but as uh, an audience person, I'm shocked that it didn't work. Yaskier's a pretty swell guy, and that is is truly a panty dropper. You know, <laughs> you, <laughs> you tell. Uh... <laughs> I have not oh, heard that, that phrase since eighth grade, Austin. You're welcome. You're a scoundrel. You know that you're a scoundrel. I am. You're a scoundrel. I am a scoundrel, but so is Yaskier. True. And Apt. okay. This is why I uh, I don't think you know it, it's it's a strong line. If he said it, maybe with some more confidence. Who knows? I guess. We, I guess anything really works with enough confidence. But uh, hey, before we move on, you de- so I just want to point this out. You mentioned uh, when they sat down to eat, he was like one of everything. Keep the ale coming, which is a pretty cool line that that tells you enough about Borch that. He's got a he's got a pretty deep pocket and he's willing to spend it. Here's the thing: the reason they said that is because there is three full pages in the book that are pretty much just Borch's order, his food order. And I'll tell you, and I I will summarize it even further because like if I t- said the actual original text, it would take 30 minutes. But this is the full order that Borch gives when he enters this tavern. Are you ready? He goes, uh, yeah. I will have a couple pitchers. Uh, actually, no. I'll have an entire keg of beer. I will have Elvers with garlic and olive oil. Green pepper pods uh, drowning in vinegar. Log driver soup, which is like a seafood chowder full of mollusks and other fish. Uh, two orders. No, three orders of roast lamb with onions. Three orders of crayfish. Uh, and he told him to throw in as much dill into the pot as you can. An, uh, a giant block of sheep's cheese. Uh couple heads of lettuce two more pitchers then two baked eel steaks and then at the end of the meal he calls for three more pitchers of beer and i just want you to posture a guess as to what the last thing he ordered was uh a goose um well as goose are often boiled close enough the dude asks for a hot tub. <laughs> he's Hell like yeah. he's like get the largest uh tub or basin that you can possibly find. Get your uh, burliest men to bring it to my upstairs suite and fill it with scalding hot water. It needs to fit four people. Because it was Geralt Borch and the two Zeracanians. The dude yeah, and, and he lightly implies that they'd be like having some sort of sensual encounter. Oh. So that's who Borch is to me, and I just I want you to now be clued into that. That he's kind of he's not just a rich guy, he's a rich and horny guy. Hey, alright. 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 Um Yeah, there you go. Hey. I appreciate that breakdown. That's a lot of stuff. And the nod to the books, but also the um Necessary. cold shoulder as well as yeah. just one of everything. 
Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for thing. just saying one of everything instead of monologuing the entire order of yeah. everything. <laughs> it so. seriously is like three pages full, but yeah, we can move on. Great. Um, so back with Borch and Geralt, they're talking and Borch is describing, uh, we had heard about the dragon. Um, we cut to it pretty quickly, so it's not like there's a big pause. Uh, King Niedemeyer's commissioned to hunt to kill the dragon. Um, and whoever gets uh, the kill gets the big reward. I believe it's like the land all around surrounding the area or something like that. It's a pretty sweet reward. And he's hired teams, basic, or the bounty has lured teams in. Uh, right. The Witcher... Geralt is just like I don't kill dragons. It's not. It's one of my thing that I uh, I do not do. Right. Um, I believe it's a code, right, for Witchers. It's it's not clear if it is a Witcher's code. It's always been implied that it's Geralt's personal code, um, which which is informed by the teachings of Master Witchers in ages past. Um, there, it's kind of a monk based system, so they're called Brother Blank, Brother Blank. You know whatever their name is. And there, there are a couple uh, master witchers that have basically prescribed anybody reading their books to not kill sentient, elegant beasts because they're, they're special. And if they, you know, fall to the wayside in history, it'll be a tragedy for the natural world. So I, I, I think it's, it's somewhere between the teachings of that and then Geralt's just personal, you know, ideation of, you know, what, what constitutes a righteous kill and what doesn't. Right, and I think it's, uh, I agree, um, just thinking about dragons, they're very elegant, they're very, super, there's a lot of mystery around dragons, and, and their supernatural, I guess, tendencies, etc., etc., oh, yeah. so it, I, it fits the mold, uh, Geralt doesn't kill smart things, he doesn't kill really cool mystical things i'm on board with it Geralt's a cool dude right i mean i well, like his morals it, it's pretty much it's just it's based around their level of cognition so if they are sentient and sentient's not even a great word because dogs are technically sentient it, it's sapient it, are they aware of themselves are they do they have emotions and are they you know smart enough to have awareness of like the world around them that that is his that's where he draws the line uh that's not to say uh as a footnote that's not to say he doesn't kill draconids which is a subform uh, and a, a distant relative of original dragons. Uh, unlike original dragons, draconids, they're dragon-shaped, but they, uh, they're beasts. They don't have the same level of brain power as, uh, as true dragons do. So there, there is, that's a little footnote there. Yeah. More, the more info, the better. Dweeb but, dive, baby. Uh, We're deep. Hey. That, that's what it's all about. Um, and I love the introduction to the teams, too, because Geralt's like, no, I don't kill dragons. It's not my thing. Um, I think Bort is really just wanting him to accompany him uh, as protection because there's monsters in between them. But I love the introduction of the teams. Well, I love one, the only introduction I actually love is the dwarves. <laughs> and... Right. He's like, oh, yeah, the dwarves are going. Um, and Yaskir's looking over. He's like, I think Geralt could take them. And surely, like, five seconds later, they ordered some ale, and I guess they didn't get it. And the leader of the dwarves, I think it's named Yarpin Zigrin. Nice. Nailed it. He just gets up on the bar, grabs the bartender, and he's like, oh, you fucking hear me? We wanted some ale. 
Ooh, and Yaskier's like, there. very nice. <laughs> Yaskier's like, uh, oh, maybe maybe Geralt couldn't deal with them so so easily. Um, that's the only one I enjoy. We get introduced uh, very slightly to the Reavers. I right? Is that is yeah. that what they're called? Reavers, the Krenfrid Reavers. Krenfrid. So is that just like uh, that's a location? That's a place. Bounty hunters. They oh, it's are, a place. So they're like bounty hunters from an area or something? They are uh, specifically dragon hunters. That they have been they have been uh, uh. they've been making their coin by hunting dragons specifically. So they're not just uh cell swords. They specialize in taking down dragons, yeah. Oh, okay. That that makes sense because the when they were introduced, like, oh the Reavers are here, I was like, they, those are just dudes. There's nothing special. They about are them. just like dudes. Dwarves, yeah, I get it, but these are just dudes. But the fact that they're kind of uh, they're dudes, but their specialty is killing dragon dudes. So pretty big. Dudes. It makes sense. Yeah, they're big dudes. They're big, they're dudes. big deal dudes. Big deal dudes. Our new podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all the about works. the biggest deals on Wall Street. <laughs> and and brought to you by dudes. Brought to you by dudes. Dudes.com. Actually, don't go there. I, I can't vouch for what that website is. Wow. Yeah. Let's scrub that. Uh, Alrighty. Introductions. Uh, the Reavers get introduced. What else? Uh, and then we get the last one. Um, Geralt's still like, no, I definitely don't want to be on this trip with the Reavers. And who else but Yennefer with some beautiful furs and her dreamy violet eyes. Oh my god, are you in love? No. Dude, it but, sounds like you're in love. But she's real nice looking since she sacrificed her innards to become <laughs> beautiful. <laughs> You've said two things that have made have made me involuntarily cough and we're 20 minutes in. Is that a record? Is that good? Uh, it's some kind of record, dude. There we go. But Yennefer shows up with a knight. Um, and as soon as Yennefer appears, Yaskier's like, oh, no, we're good. Thank you. Geralt's right. We don't do this. We don't deal with this thing. Geralt, let's go ahead. We should just leave now, actually, while we're ahead. And right as Yaskier wraps that up, Geralt's like, I'm in. Boom. Let's do it. <laughs> when will men so, ever learn? Uh, well, Geralt certainly has got uh, some feeling feelings for her. Yeah. And sure enough, the next day, the hunt begins. Uh, the dwarves talk with Geralt. Uh, it seems like they've got a little bit of a alliance of sorts because there's only one way up the mountain and one way down. So truly, they should work together until um, they get to the top. And the other thing is the leader is screaming, Oi, who stole my fucking pack? I bet it was those reavers. So, wow, you're really jumping in on these accents, dude. I'm trying, dude. Wow. I've been work. I've been workshopping. I didn't think I'd they be treated to like an trash. interactive theater art piece tonight. And they're probably it's podcast. probably trash, but it's okay. It's but lovely. that that's kind of the agreeing part because I guess Reavers are scummy, and the assumption is they stole uh, Yarpin's pack. So Gil Yarpin, they're on the same page until they're not. And this is where we get introduced to Sir Ike of Denizel. Is that right? Uh, I actually don't have that written down. Um, I don't think that is the correct pronunciation, and you've uh, you've ruined everything. Perfect. 
just per usual. And this dude is super cheesy, but I think for uh, on purpose, you know, for good reason. He's cheesy and he is just constantly screaming for kingdom and glory. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Um, I guess it's it's kind of funny that you get the the hero, the knight in shining armor accompanying the lady to slay the dragon, which is very uh, fairy tale e. But he's kind of just a uh, just over the top. Um, he's a real. I think, uh, and he's not too far off from how he is in the book. Um, and I'll, I'll get to I'll get to how his ultimate fate kind of differs in the book versus um, the Netflix adaptation. But I think they got him mostly right. He really is that obnoxious. That's like how he was originally written. That's not <laughs> that's not like some over the top. Uh, you know, TV show adaption thing where they kind of make him a one note character. I mean, he really is just like a just going, I am a knight! <laughs> Fall to me, demon! Like, he just keeps saying shit like that. So, <laughs> that accurate. Very accurate. <laughs> Perfect. I'm glad that aligned because it's uh, a big piece there, right? Yeah. Um, and then we just get introduced, lastly, to Boholt, the leader of the Reavers. So, I believe he says something about how he wants to kill Geralt immediately. So cool how guy. pleasant he is. Really cool guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we continue on, we're back with Siri. We're outside Brokilon, if we remember. Evil Malzak, the Doppler, is walking with Siri and Dara, and they're just kind of asking questions. I think Siri is. Just really excited and doing the really annoying thing that kids do when they're excited and they don't have anything else to do. And that's just ask like 8 million questions. <laughs> Why? Why? How'd you how'd you survive the siege of Sintra? Uh, how'd you get here? How'd you meet Geralt? Where'd you find Geralt? How'd you find me? Where'd you find me? How'd you get here? <laughs> and this guy is like... I love Badsack. Badsack is my favorite character. <laughs> he's just not happy and he's trying to stay like Malzak would be um and I think he has a slip up when Siri's bombarding him with questions and he says we we don't think instead of I I believe he reveals it very very subtly but uh, Dara picks up on it so Dara is suspicious and I mean, Siri isn't quite uh, quite there yet, but the all is not lost. I guess is is a good way to put it as far as Dara and Siri, because Siri's yeah. clearly clueless. Wow, Siri clearly clueless. Whew. And that, you're just putting luckily yourself in for a her, difficult situation there with <laughs> that alliteration. Yeah. Luckily for her, uh, for her, Dara is there to save her yet again. For yeah, this will be the third time. He's the best. Fourth time. Dude's a dude. Dude's a dude. Legend. Yeah, legend. Legendary dude. Legendary for rat sure. boy. Level ninety nine rat boy. Level <laughs> rat king. He's a rat king. Nice. I I yeah. I'll roll with it. Rat king. Rat boy. Rat king. So we so we got we got us uh, we got Fiona from Shrek rolling with yes. the rat king uh, and they're led by hey. Bad Sack. Hey. Evil Sack. Evil. <laughs> I feel like there's some jokes that could be made with that, but I think I might just leave it alone. You know what? It's it is what it is. I think it just should let sleeping dogs lie. 
Let sleeping sacks sit, you know? Exactly. Let's just keep them where they should be. Yeah. Let, uh, let those in a warm, hang. cozy place. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anything else? No, Anything? I'm good. <laughs> okay. Continue, please. Okay, good. Uh, we're back. Fourth, the hunt. Yaskier is continuing to try and impress Taya and Vea. And they're really doing a good job of ignoring him. And I think he's mentioning how... They look hungry, and he'll find them something to eat over this way. And he strays off the path a little bit, and he finds some berries that they're probably poisonous, knowing Yaskier's luck. And he finds what looks like to be a little creature, and he's like, oh, hello there, little weird creature thing. And it stands up, and it's actually quite large. Scary, uh, too. Gaunt. About the size of a man. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's very skinny. Um, it's called, uh, is it a Hirika? Yep. So it's a Hirika. Yep. And it comes out and it's kind of just staring at everyone. Weapons are drawn and Geralt's like, no, it's just hungry. If we give it food, it'll leave us alone. And everyone's starting to put their swords back. And sure enough. Big Ike. Old, old Ike. Charges in and slices the arm off and slices, just literally just goes to town. Probably get two to three good minutes of him just yeah. hitting this thing with his sword. Die. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, pretty, pretty, it, sick, just... <laughs> pretty sick combo. Uh, probably be more impressive if, if this thing was at all healthy. But yeah, that's that says that pretty much wraps up Ike right there. Kills a immensely weak and famished Hirika, and that is where the phrase in the Witcher realm began. Right there, uh, you know, you don't want to beat a dead Hirika any more than you have to. Wow! <laughs> I thought I was bad. <laughs> you son of a bitch! I'm gonna I'm gonna punch you in the arm for that when I see you. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a bruise on your hand <laughs> for your wedding. As long as it's not visible, it's fine. That's why I said your hand because I do want it to be visible. But okay. Oh well, yeah, I'll no, give you a dry horse or something. But yeah, uh, he he absolutely destroys this thing. There's quite literally two minutes of him just chopping into the dead body, and everyone's just like, "This dude sucks." <laughs> everyone's thinking it. No one says it, but everyone's like, "This dude fucking sucks." <laughs> um, dude blows. This, hey, guy, this guy, this guy, oh, this guy, not one of this guy, total knob job, this guy. Um, but they make camp, they make a fire there, and uh, old Ike is cooking up the Harika, and he's about to eat it, or he takes a bite, and uh, Barch is like, well, you know, I don't think you want to eat that. Probably not a good idea. And he's like, nonsense. A knight never wastes his skill. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and as karma would have it, he gets the poopies. He's he's sitting there and everyone's kind of chit-chatting. And he turns to Yennefer. He's like, oh, my lady, will you please give me this leave to 
go retire for the night and get out of my armor. And he's like farting. He's trying to hold in farts. (laughs) He's like slightly farting as it's happening. By the time he's done saying that long ass sentence of Unifer, he's just already just just filled his uh, cod piece with (laughs) poop. (laughs) Can you imagine just soiling yourself in just full night gear? How messy that would be? No. I can't. Um, and he's like just really, I don't even know the best way, just spazzing out as he walks away and everyone's just really laughing at him because he totally deserves it. Yeah. Totally deserves what happened to him with getting the poopies in front of Yennefer. Um, so it, it it's good. But uh, what's not so good, as he dashes away, we don't see him. It's the next morning. Yennefer is looking around and is like, has anyone seen my escort? And sure enough, the dwarves find him. His throat's been cut while he was shitting, which is absolutely shitty. And the, the Reavers were gone, and Yennefer's like, it was them. And the dwarves are like, who kills a man while whilst... They're shitting. It's Pretty shitty true. situation to die when you're shitting. Oh my! You are you are on the worst kind of roll right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you have to think about the assassin that's actually doing the doing the deed. That he had this because he, he's behind him, you know. <laughs> While he's doing that, stinkiest kill and, I've ever had. Yeah, and it's a big deal because shit usually rolls downhill. No, That's nothing, true. nothing. That's a, it's a very, uh, it's a cliche. Okay. Okay. I, I guess, maybe, I, I uh, guess I don't understand there, what you were okay. trying to go for there. Well, they're on a mountainside and the guy's pooping and the guy sneaks up behind him. So, uh, literally the shit is rolling downhill at the assassin. But why would the, why would he be facing uphill while he's pooping? You know what? I don't know. Why, why is he facing downhill to enjoy the view? He's weird. I don't know. There's too many the presuppositions sucks. here, Austin. I can't buy the this dude. poopy fantasy that you're peddling was... right now. I guess it was a shit scenario to try and describe. Okay. Yeah, are you well. st- what are you doing? <laughs> Stop it. Uh, oh, my God. Well, we're back in the forest. It's a literal shit with... show. Like, this is a oh, yeah. show. This is a <laughs> shitty show. This could be... Okay, I'm done. Um... <laughs> you, did, you were not about to say something else. I forbid uh... you. I forbid you. Move on. Move on, Yeah, bro. I'm trying to get to Siri and Dara right now. Um, Dara <laughs> basically breaks it to Siri and is like, hey, look, he's something's wrong here. He's not who he says he is. And remember what they said back at Brokolon Forest. Ask the right questions. True. You got to ask the right questions. And Siri, with a little more intellect to her and less child enthusiasm, starts asking some more hard-hitting questions about when she was growing up and, you know, stories that Malzak would tell her. And she asks him about Malzak's homeland, Skellige. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, yeah, Skellige, great place. Love it. Real good time. Uh, Not shitty there really good and siri's like that's a lie 
because you always called Sintra your home and you hated Skellige. And that is when the cat gets out of the proverbial bag and she's like, you're not Malzak. And this thing freaks out. It's like, our name is not Malzak. <laughs> we killed Malzak. What? <laughs> He's also apparently a giant dork. He's a little dorky. I, yeah, I guess. It's hard to know because he's always someone else. But, yeah. Big fight. Big fight. We do get in a little bit of a, a scuffle. Tussle. Um, yeah. Dara uh, tries to attack with a dagger. The Doppler wrestles it off of him. And uh, Siri puts some silver to his throat. And it starts burning. And he drops the dagger. And it looks like they're uh, they're going to get the upper hand. And it changes out of Mauzak's skin. So we get the full look at how ugly this thing is. Right. And uh, if Arnold Schwarzenegger was there, he would definitely call it one ugly, you know, MF. <laughs> so to, uh, as to put it, very gently. Yeah. To land the plane gently. A quick, quick, uh, quick little cliff note about that. The uh, Dopplers, there actually is a part in uh, the second book. It's, one, it's either the first or second book. Where there's a short story about a Doppler, it's probably, it's one of one of the less exciting short stories, but it's still interesting. Uh, there's a chase scene with a Doppler, and the way they describe the Doppler's true form, because they they hit it with some dimeridium, and it begins to denature, and like revert to its original form. It's more described as like a crab, like a you ever seen like a Japanese spider crab. They're, no. They're basically underwater gigantic spiders. They're horrifying. Um, but it has, like, long legs, and it's, like, torso is more liquid and lumpiness than it is, a, like, a consistent form. Um, it's horrifying. It's, like, this constantly moving, pulsing, like, squishiness with long spider legs. Uh, one of the most horrifying things I've ever really read, um, which is crazy considering that their original lore is that they're good-natured, like, benevolent creatures so um i'm not sure about this adaptation i don't think it ultimately matters that much that how they look in their original form i'm sure this made more sense from a budgetary standpoint yet again but uh kind of like a uh, kind of like a classic vampire like like a white walker or something that's kind of what it looked yeah, like yeah uh, like uh the maybe like an original nosferatu kind of looking yes, guy that's what i was thinking of exactly so uh they get that and Siri wants Dara to kill him, and Dara won't do it, but, uh, you know, she she is about to, and she's asking the man with the winged helmet, you know, referring to Kay here, why, why is he going to so much trouble to to find me and to, and to come get me? Yeah. And, uh, you know, she can't get an answer because he basically escapes. He injures Dara, and then Siri takes off running because they're clearly, they're overmatched, and... Um, it's an interesting cutscene because she cuts away and she's running through the forest by herself and she gets scooped up by a Nilfgaardian soldier, um, covers, covers her hand or her, excuse me, her mouth. And she gets brought into a interesting place. It looks like an inn of some kind. Yep. And she. The bag is removed off of her helmet, and she wakes up, and it's Kay here. And he's like, don't scream. 
Um, and he's like, I know why you're afraid. It was never my intention to torment you like this, but there was no other way for me to get you out of the Brokolon forest. So this very small glimpse of Kay here yeah. talking to Siri is, is like, okay, maybe this guy's not as bad as we think he is, which is yeah. good. It's like they were, it was like they were trying to say, this guy is just driven by his passion for whatever his ultimate goal is, but he's really not trying to hurt those involved. That's what it, that's, that's where I was when I saw this part. I was like, Oh, he's just an incredibly principled person, whatever his principles might be completely, you know, backwards, but he's really just trying to see this to an end. And if he doesn't have to be a total jerk about it, he won't, Uh, which doesn't, Turned out to be true, but uh, <laughs> more on that later. <laughs> That's true. Um, but before we really get that resolved, we're back to the dragon hunt, and uh, the Reavers have obviously they've gotten ahead of the group, and really they're like, "Ah, oh, crap! We got to catch up to them. We can't let those scumbags get ahead of us." And that's when. The dwarf leader, Yarpin, tells Geralt about a shortcut through the mountains that'll help them get ahead of the Reavers. Right. It's a... Uh, and it, it instantly, it reminded me of Lord of the Rings. I was just, just about to go... <laughs> yeah. Very <laughs> Lord of the Rings and Balin For sure. will give us a royal welcome. <laughs> we could go through the mines of Moria. Dude, these accents! Hell yeah, dude. You're a but one that's, man that's, show. That's quite literally what it felt like. Uh, you don't know what we're talking about? Go turn on Lord of the Rings. Because you have turn to on watch Lord it, of then the I'm Rings. offended. Just t- it doesn't matter. Just turn it on. <laughs> Currently, at your downtime at med school, turn on Lord of the Rings. Yeah, while you're studying for your organic chemistry. Exactly. Just kidding. Easy, that's easy so hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is the hardest thing. All right. Little platform. Yes, I mean, quite literally, maybe two two by fours attached to the mountain, and you could sh- side shuffle along this thing. Yeah. And Yaskier's like, uh, "Do I have to?" And everyone's basically like, "Yeah, you really have to." It's on, on the side of the mountain. If you fall, you're dead. Um, it's very cloudy, so you can't see the bottom, but it's still very very scary. Um, we get a nice shot of how big the mountain is and how little this path is. So. Uh, yeah, um, it Yaskir is creaking along. It's very scary, and you, you know it's like, oh man, is he gonna go? Is someone gonna go? Are they gonna get through it? And sure enough, the back of the group is Borch, Taya, and Vea, and the board cracks. Those three go down. Um, they're holding out. There's like a chain into the mountains that is serves as, I guess, a railing to hold onto. Yeah, and as it's falling, Geralt grabs it to prevent them from falling. And Borch looks up at him and basically says, uh, you know, um, you know, I know, I knew it was good to bring you along. You, you know, I know you'll save live life, but right now you have to let me go. It's like super cryptic. You're like, what the fuck is this old man? Who is this saying? Okay. You weirdo. Um, and he lets go of the chain and he just drops. He's gone. He's, you know, bye-bye. See you later. 
Shrek reference. Boom. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> um, this isn't and Shrek. Shortly, uh, Taya and Vea look at each other and then they let go. Yeah. And Yaskier looks away in just like horror mm-hmm. because he knows that they just went splat at the bottom of a mountain. And I think it's important to note while they were journeying, Yaskier asks Taya and Vea why they're with him and you know what what's the big deal? And they say how beautiful he is. Because you know, he unique. is the most beautiful. Yes. Does Yaskier Gary ask that just... or does Geralt? I thought Geralt does. No, Yaskier's the one asking because oh, remember he's Geralt trying to figure books, out. But, okay. So it's Yaskir, he's like, you know, he's trying to hit on, so he's like, what's this old guy got that I don't have? Um, And they quite literally just say, he's beautiful. So, true to their words, they fall to their deaths with him. Yeah. And, uh... Must be a cool guy. It's a rough night. But what's not so rough is Geralt and Yennefer, she somehow got this super awesome luxury tent. Yeah, dude. Welcome to mages in the Witcher universe. Magic is just stupid cool. They are always living Um, large, no matter where they are. That will be consistent (laughs) for the rest of anything that you do with the Witcher. Anytime there's a mage, live in large. Yeah. Every time. And it's super nice, and they have a nice moment, and it's just their relationship and their interactions, I think, just takes that next step. Uh, they've had that interesting interactions. The last time he saw her was um, in the town where she tried to trap the djinn. And obviously he's got a thing for her. Yeah. But he's he's messed up about the whole Borch thing and falling to their death and he couldn't save them. Um, and really they just uh, – there's this explanation of, you know, what, what did you want before all this? Because they've both changed. Um, Yennefer – says that she changed she didn't have a choice when she did but she kind of did but she was very greedy with power but anyway Geralt had no choice so he's like I don't really remember what I wanted before all this because you know all I remember is this just from early childhood um and he asked Yennefer if she had always wanted to be a mother and this is just the we we continue to find what drives Yennefer and why she's kind of on this quest. She's continually looking for ways to cure herself so she can have a child. And the reason being is the child represents someone that will think so highly of Yennefer that she is their entire world. And we talked about it last episode, too, when she was with the queen before she got her you know, yeah, uh, throat yeah. cut. But... It's just another insight of really what is driving Yennefer forward. And it's her constant desire to find a remedy for this so that she can truly be a mother and be important to somebody. And, of course, our boy Geralt being very cheesy, probably because he's hanging out with Yaskier, (laughs) drops the the great line of, you're important to me, essentially. And then they they do the deed. Um, Not quite as rambunctious as they were when they portaled into the, the sex dungeon. Yeah. Um, of the mayor's house, but a little more uh, uh, very mo- mature, yeah, uh, sensual, loving, um, all that, yeah. And there's definitely that that chemistry because Geralt, what you know, he talked about how his days were, uh, you know, long or boring or whatever, and then his nights were restless. Um, so right. really, he's been bothered by not being with Yennefer, and he's so happy that they're together. And he's like, the next morning. He's like, hey, we can leave. Um, we can we can go. 
Uh, if we leave now, we'll get back to the the pensive dragon, and we can you know just be us. And she's like, no, we're almost to the top. I gotta finish this thing. Um, and Geralt's very yeah, Geralt's very mad about that. He's like, damn it, woman. He is being a little grouchy. He's being a little old school. He is. He thinks he's got her in the bag, but you can't, you can't tame Yennefer. Pin down Yennefer. I N D E P E N D E N T. Clearly, he doesn't means? know what that means. He clearly <laughs> doesn't know what that means. He doesn't. He's a basic B. Yeah, exactly. But they notice that the dwarves are gone, and Yennefer's like, shit, they're about to get up there before us. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah well, well i mean it's like but but honestly though oh oops um i just threw my headphones <laughs> all right dude all um, right man <laughs> calm down yeah i'm I'm so angry but in reality how far could the doors really have gotten you know their little legs oh my god austin those are actual little people <laughs> i mean okay I'm this is alluding a mythical to the setting, dude. I don't know. Maybe they're... I'm alluding to the dwarves, man. They're little. They got little legs. How far could they have gotten? Clearly not that far because Yennefer catches up to them in a dress, in heels. That is a good point. You're not wrong. So, I, right. And then she cheats, man. I feel bad for them. She just uses magic and freezes them in place. That, that right, I mean... Right, I am. Wow. Just nice to just have that. And this is the part. So she gets up to the top. And she finds the dragon's lair, and um, she pulls out a little dagger. Well, it's not a little dagger; it's a pretty good sized dagger, but it's a dagger. And I'm just thinking, like, what are you gonna do with that thing? A, you're magical. You just use magic. Yeah. Two, what are you gonna get close enough to a dragon to use that little toothpick for it? Like, what you gonna pick its teeth? Yeah. Ugh. I was like, okay, come on. What what is what is this? You know, Austin. What is she doing? <sighs> I've been waiting. I, I didn't really know where to inject this information because and it's it's hard. It's hard because the book and the show really diverge. They really really diverge. All the way back uh all the way back to where they're like camping for the first time. Uh is pretty much where they diverge for real. So, for instance, in the book, there's a, there's a couple more characters that aren't even part of this. Um, there is a young prince. There's his advisor. There's his captain of the guard. There's another mage called Dora Gray who doesn't want the dragon to be killed, and he's here to prevent anybody from killing it. There's all these characters happening, and uh, there's a whole other scene that we don't even see in the show, which, again, is probably for budgetary reasons, and you'll see why in a second. This entire group of people, so way more people in the book. It's a whole cohort of all these different groups, you know, that have an angle on this situation. They're all in this ravine going up the mountain. They have to cross a bridge, and there's a rock slide. The bridge goes out. A bunch of horses and people fall into the ravine. It's a it's pandemonium, and there's a scene where Geralt and Yennefer are hanging for dear life. And this is... As, as contrasted to that tent scene that happens later in the show, this is kind of where they kind of come to terms with each other and realize that they are looking out for each other and that's, and that's that. And she kind of realizes that Geralt is truly uh, the one that looks out for her. 
the, the one that cares about her that, like unconditionally because she's at the bottom of the rope. She's hanging on the Geralt's belt and both of them can hear everybody else on top of the cliff talking, basically talking shit about them, but mainly Yennefer. And they're like, we could save Geralt and let the witch fall. <laughs> we hate the witch. Just let her die. Like everybody, like every, everybody is saying that. Everybody is. And Geralt's like, this is bullshit. I'm not going to let you fall. And she's like, wow. <laughs> She has a very honest moment, Austin, where she's like, I, I guess I don't have, like, people just don't like me. Um, so that's kind of where that happens in the book. So there's that scene. And then we get to this dragon scene. Um, I just, you know what? Let's bookmark that. You should keep, you should continue uh, recapping the show. Uh, one last point. Ike is still alive at this point in the book, and he is actually the one that ends up saving Geralt and Yennefer by tossing down a super long elven rope. Uh, yeah, well, he's dead in the show. Yeah. So, no, none of that. Um, But as I was alluding to earlier, Yennefer's got this dagger, and it's like, what are you going to do with this thing? Right. Well, the good news is the dragon's already dead. It's dead. And, but, you know, what you see is a kind of a little mound and there's an egg and it looks like the egg is alive. Intact. Yes. Um, and there's this whole realization that, oh, it was protecting its baby, uh, which very, which speaks very deeply to Yennefer. Um, but as she's approaching, Taya and Vea show up. Yo, what is up Taya and Vea who are supposed to be dead? They suddenly just walk around the corner and they're like, mm -mm, mm -mm. Not no dead. closer, no closer. Yeah, get and, out. And yeah. uh, as they draw steel, Geralt runs around the corner with his pack and he's like, stop. And then sees Tay and Vera, he's like, uh. So he sees that the green dragon is dead. But then what happens? We get a gold dragon and... I think it's important to note. So the gold dragon was talked about with Geralt and Barch or Borch, excuse Borch, me. That, yeah. About their existence essentially. And how immensely rare it's just like, like more They're like an actual myth versus like a green dragon. Right. And he's like, I cannot, I literally, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. It is a gold dragon. Um, and then just to add on to all that confusion, it starts talking in Borch's voice because the, gr the gold dragon is Borch. He can shapeshift. It's Borchception, dude. <laughs> dude, you I, could, you're in rare form tonight, man. I don't, I don't even know what to say to you anymore. <laughs> I don't know who you are. You can just say, uh, you're welcome. If that was a Moana reference, I'm actually going to leave this podcast. Right Damn now. it. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to pick it up. Okay, yes, it was. Hey, I, go ahead and finish this I one without almost, me. Okay, look, 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 look. Right, I almost that was fun. started singing You're Welcome, but I was like, I don't know if he's seen Moana. I don't know if he's going to get the reference. So of I just better. I, I look like Moana. Dude, me too. Oh, snap. That's true. Um, nice. Okay, great. I'm, I'm really glad that you, you got it. Um,. Anyway, but we find out that the green dragon, when it was wounded, it called out for help. And this is where Borch heard it. It wants to protect the egg. They're so dragons are so rare. They're they're dying off that young are 
immensely important. And remember when Borch was saying he doesn't have many firsts left? Well, this is one of them. Being a father, a dragon father. Mm-hmm. Dragon dad. Um, Exactly. So, but sure enough, as everything's explained, the Reavers, right on cue, they're like, oh, great, we, we're going to kill the whole family. Hooray. And that's when the fight starts. Um, I will say, not as big a fan of this one yes. as the other ones. Okay. And I hate to say this, but... It's because Yennefer sucks. Okay, I got off my chest. Okay, well, wait, wait, hold on. Before I get, before I launch into it, what do you mean by Yennefer sucks exactly? Just want to. Okay. So our first scene or our first sequence is Geralt basically clotheslining this dude with his sword. Yeah. Um, goes sword on sword and clotheslines this guy. Awesome. That's very typical Geralt. It's badass. Mm-hmm. We, we're here for it. Uh, Tay and Vea, they know how to wield their weapons. They they look dangerous, um, and they're very good with them. And then we have Yennefer. She's got that little dagger out, and I swear, while she's fighting with that little dagger, it just looks like she's like shuffling around. It just doesn't look good. Okay, and that's what I thought. You're just you like mean. that's you're what just I like, man. She sucks. Okay, so I have no problem, obviously, with Yennefer being uh, proficient in combat. But that's because she is a mage, and she has spent all of her training becoming a mage. There is no precedent for her being a, a knife fighter, uh, much less engaging in uh, combat with long swords with a dagger. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. So yeah. I just it doesn't from a visually it looks it looked kind of wonky, but story-wise, character-wise, this was such a weird decision to have her fight like that. Uh, well, she's got, like, the dagger, and she, like, holds it up and then uses magic and, and doesn't, like, engage with it. She kind of... She does a couple stabs, but I'm just like, what? She does, but, like, initially, it's magic she's she's using. And it's not until a little later when she gets... uh yeah. she When she's dual-wielding the sword and the dagger, it's a, it's a lot better. That does it did make more sense, but also I mean Yennefer's not a sword fighter, nowhere in the in the lore, and I'm not saying that it's it's like stupid for her to be a sword fighter because there's two Zeracanians that where it works very well. It's it's nothing about that. It's just it's just not it's not her. She's a mage. Mages love magic. Like that's the thing. They they have spent so much time and they've devoted their literal blood, sweat, and tears to being uh you know, wielders of magic that it's why they use it. It's why they, it's like when you, it's like when people get a doctor, uh, title and they're like, please refer to me as a doctor. It's the same thing. Go to med school guys. Okay. That's the, <laughs> again, that is the main message of this podcast. Go to med school. So it to me, didn't make a lot of sense. I will attempt to explain why I think they did that though. You ready? You ready for this? Yes. Hit me with it. In the book. And this is where I was talking about it diverging quite a bit from the show. In the book, they get to the top of the mountain. Everybody gets there at the same time. Okay? They've been talking and kind of jiving the whole time. So there's none of this uh, subterfuge. As they get to the top, the uh, 
Reavers and the dwarves are getting fed up with Doragray, that mage I said, because he is anti-killing animals. He's protecting nature. They go to attack Doragray. Geralt, being the defender that he is, like he was with Dunny in um, Sintra, same situation. He goes to defend him. Yaskier slash Dandelion goes to defend Geralt because uh, he's in love with him. And they end up getting destroyed. (laughs) Um, Because Yennefer wants to kill the dragon, because of her, you know, her own personal plot and with uh, becoming a mother and all of that, she actually teams up momentarily with the dwarves and with the Reavers to stop the three of them. But as soon as they tie up Geralt, Dandelion, and Doragray, she tries to turn on the dwarves and the Reavers. Because she wants all the loot for herself. She wants all the materials gathered from the dragon for herself. And here is why I think they did what they did with Yennefer. Yennefer gets outsmarted by Yarpin. She's getting too cocky with her magic. She's she's looking down on him as sort of a simple, sort of normal man, not really concerned with him. And she hits her in the face with a steel ball. Oh, hits her right between the steel ball and she gets knocked out. So now she's tied up next to the three of the boys that were just tied up. And it gets a little weird because uh, basically she gets raped. It's a very it's a super unsettling scene. It's not great. Um, her magic powers are suppressed. Uh, and it's not because they have dimeridium. This is not something that's always paid attention to in, like, throughout the books or even the, the, the games. But she, you have to like make signs with your hands. And beca- if they're tied up in a certain way where you can't gesture, then you can't cast magic. So you, you don't always need dimeridium or silver. But anyway, so she's magicless right now. Uh, Danny Lyon's like a piece of garbage in the books, too, at this point. He's like making jeers. at It's it, it's kind of a weird scene. So I think they did that because she lost her autonomy as a character in the scene for a bit. And something horrible happened to her. And they're like, we don't want to portray this in the show. Uh, she's already had like her really rough background. I don't think like this adds to her a character at this point because she's already suffered through trauma and kind of got out, you know, the other side of it. So, you know, what the hell is this scene really doing here? So I think that's why they did that. But even still, she frees herself and she uses magic in the ensuing fight with everybody. So I don't know. Like, even still, I don't really understand the dagger choice. Uh, and there's a little bit more of the book I want to discuss, but you should continue recapping and I will bookmark that for the end. Well, I think really the only other cheesy moment that happens is uh, they're mid-fight, uh, Geralt and Yennefer, and Yennefer oh, yeah. is running towards Geralt and yells, Ard, now! And they get a slow-mo mid-battle embrace. They start Ooh. kissing, and Geralt shoots the Ard at, like, five dudes and blasts them out of the cave. <laughs> that was so bad. That is single-handedly the worst moment of the entire series it's complete Uh, out of character for Geralt it's out of character for Yennefer they are both task oriented people they're both really smart and they're both fairly aware of danger maybe Geralt a little more so but they they understand stakes because they're both smart people It, it just was dumb it just was kind of a dumb moment I'm I think they were reaching for things to do at this part because it was so far away from the source material they were like all right uh, maybe they'll have like a slow motion kiss. I don't know. Just put it in the scene. <laughs> Who cares? Ugh, this is very frustrating. 
Well, they definitely, they do that. Um, and then we also get to see Borch torch somebody. So, all right. That's good. That the, the guy that was nice. The guy that got clotheslined is like crawling towards the egg and uh, Borch is like, you would be wise not to do that. And then just fries him anyway. So, you know, whatever. It's cool. Um, they get outside and they start finishing off the Reavers. And uh, I think it's really cool. Obviously, Yennefer has a sword, so she's using that. Um, Geralt's still doing his thing, killing people. Um, they get to the leader, Bohort, and basically... Bohort, sorry. Yep. Um, basically, Geralt throws and impales the guy attacking Yennefer, and Bohort throws dirt in his eyeballs and then tries to basically impale him with a spear and i think this part's really cool at least it was in my mind as he tries to use this spear thrust Geralt, despite not being able to see just is able to time it and grabs this thing before he gets impaled and uh boholt's like yeah i wish you could literally see me kill you and then yennefer comes up from behind and kills him as she wanted to for killing ike who no one's really tore up that he died so anyway um, and that's it. The battle's over. Um, and uh, you know what, before you move on, let me just, let me just do that last little bit of the book. So yeah, here's, so after they're all tied up and, uh, you know, Yennefer is also tied up and suppressed with the rest of them. The dwarves and the reavers are bickering amongst themselves, how they're going to attack the dragon. Uh, because it's not in a cave. It's actually at the top of the mountain. There's like a little hill off in the distance and uh, the gold dragon is just sitting there perched like a cat looking at them uh, very calmly. And under his right wing is a little dragon, little tiny dragon. So they're all whispering to each other, you know, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Borch actually telepathically calls out to them and says, will one of you come challenge me? It's time to act or time to leave kind of a thing. Uh, and actually Ike I'm a little out of order. So Ike actually went out there first before any of the stuff with Yennefer happened. Uh, so Ike actually, he's alive. He runs out there and he goes, fall to me, dragon. And literally, they describe it in the books as he gets flicked. <laughs> he gets <laughs> flicked with one little dragon finger and is sent tumbling like 60 feet backwards. And his body is in a crumple. But he's not dead, actually. Um, oh, man. So fast forward, all stuff with Yennefer happens. They're arguing amongst themselves. And this is how the fight starts in the book. All of a sudden, they turn around, and the dragon is right behind them, going, you waited too long, and just starts murking them. Just starts destroying Ooh. all of them uh, with claw attacks and biting them and ripping their heads off. Um, the Zeracanians run in there and start decapitating people. Like Literally, like five peasants are with them, and they just get all just get decapitated. It's an insane scene. Yennefer frees herself. She starts killing reavers and dwarves. It's like this crazy scene, and eventually, um, through the actions of Borch, they kind of come to the same conclusion. So it all ends up in the same place. I just thought it was it was interesting. And there's definitely a lot more to the book. So, again, please read the books if you haven't. There's so much more. Like, seriously, there's so much more to see. But, yeah, it's it's interesting the way they chose to adapt this particular story, I have to say. It's definitely a 180 from... Man, they're completely different uh, right. storylines. So, 
But yeah, to, I mean, to your point, like how how much could you actually put in there and keep an audience going with a show versus reading? I don't know. I think it's more convoluted, but I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. They they deviated, and it is what it is. But uh, meanwhile, while all of this is happening, we get back to Yaskier, and he's sleeping. <laughs> he's been asleep this entire time, and Something he wakes done. up. He's like, he's like, Geralt. Yennefer? Dwarves? And he rounds the bend and the dwarves are starting to unfreeze themselves. And he's like, oh, damn, I missed the fight. And he goes running by and the dwarves bring up the rear. And, uh, I mean, the rears are dead. And the dwarves see Yennefer and Geralt there. And Yarpin throws his sword down in disgust. And he's, you know, damn it, we... We, we could have gotten here first, blah, blah, blah. And then Borch comes out back into his human form and offers them dragon teeth and says, if you don't ask any questions, you just take these to the king, you know, we're square. And the dwarf's like, well, what if the king doesn't believe us in a more aggressive manner of like, take this offer and show it up your own ass, old man. Yeah. Uh, Borch is like, well, if he doesn't believe you, then tell him that he'll get the body of a dragon delivered on the banquet day. His daughter's banquet day. I can promise him that. And then they celebrate and leave, and we get our heroes around, um, I guess, a, a little, f not really a fire, but they're sitting together. And, uh, you know, Borch is thanking both Geralt and Yennefer for helping. Um... And Yennefer is, you know, real, you know, kind of saying like, oh, maybe, uh, or no, it's Borch that's like, oh yeah, you two really aren't supposed to be apart from each other. And Yennefer's like, what do you mean by that? And then it gets revealed what Geralt wished for in a way and not fully, mm -hmm. but this is what I was talking about last episode is where he apparently wished for something along the lines of not being separated from Yennefer, but we don't know truly what it is how it she gets super yeah. yeah she gets super mad and she's like how do i know these feelings are real they're they're all magic and Geralt's trying to be like no they're not but yennefer's already on her tangent and you know this is when it gets ugly she's like disregard for other people's freedom has become quite your trademark and then Geralt fires back and is like you know your mission to cure your infertility your infertility is pointless. A child won't boost your fragile ego. You're just like, yikes. Yeah. Some and they part ways. Some barbs Very, Yeah. Woo. Quite, quite literally, quite angrily. And, uh, you know, Borch is, is explaining to Geralt that, uh, you know, kind of talking a little bit about destiny. I think he says that they're not meant to be together or something like that. You know, despite the wish. Yeah. Uh, so we still don't know what the wish is, but um, it's something ha having to do with Yennefer and being with her, if possible. But we don't know. And this is the part that makes me sad. Yaskier comes up and he's trying to get the details for the battle because he was sleeping. And Geralt goes off on him and is like, why is it every time I find myself in the shit, you're the one with the shovel? Uh, oh, you know, yeah, the that was sad the gin um what was before that oh uh Sintra, the gin the last place like here 
Like, I wish nothing more for you to just be gone for me forever, or whatever it is. And Yaskier, poor Yaskier is just like, I guess I'll go get the details from the others. You know, have a good life, Geralt. And leaves. And you're just like, oh, that was not cool, man. Not cool. Because there was a point in this show, in the story of this show that they kind of made amends and Yaskir's like, Geralt, I mean, you know, I know we had it rough a little bit, but have I kind of earned my keep again at your side and, and being your companion? And Geralt doesn't really say yes, but he doesn't, he doesn't say no yeah, either. Which so. is a yes for Geralt. <laughs> exactly. Um, but to see it just kind of burn down in flames like this was just, was super tough mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, super tough pill to swallow. So that, that was a rough scene. Um, this but, is a, um, this, and that little part was a new addition. Um, they did not have a falling out like that at the, uh, they were definitely in, we'll say a high stress situation at the apex of this story in the book, but in the aftermath, it, there was nothing like this. And, uh, I have to say this, I think, uh, while I'm not happy to see my uh, poor baby Yaskier hurt like that, uh, I do think it was a very well acted scene and I really, I felt it. So I think it, uh. It added a, a, I guess, another layer of, of, of drama in Geralt's relationships, which uh, sometimes he does need. He does need because uh, his character can kind of carry on pretty flatly uh, in the books. So this is uh, this is a nice direction I think the show is taking uh, because that reaction was indeed earned. They did build to that reaction at that point in the series. So it wasn't just uh, melodrama for drama's sake. I mean, it really, it made sense. I, yeah, it was good. It, it all came to a head, mm-hmm. essentially. So um, so that's it with, with Geralt and Yennefer and Yaskir. But we're back at uh, the the tavern that Siri was taken to with Kay here. And he's got his back turned to her. And he says, the white flame has brought us together. Um, again, showing more of a softer side and, uh, you know, saying, you know, it's, of course, you don't trust me. There's all this happening, but then you hear a sound and I think K here knows he grabs a knife and who appears behind K here, but K here himself, the Doppler, the Doppler was actually Siri and they start grappling and, the Doppler is screaming at Kay here for being insane about believing in this prophecy that he, the Doppler was betrayed because he, you know, Kay didn't tell, tell him what the girl is or, or what. Um, and they get, you know, they're in this scuffle and, uh, Kay here slashes the Doppler's face and it runs away. And Kay here comes out of the tavern and looks around at all the people. It do, he doesn't know where it's gone. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Doppler did wound him too. So he's on edge. But before we resolve that, we're in the woods where real serious. She's tied up with a belt and her scarf. And there's a figure approaching. And she's trying to get out um, of the woods. And it's Dara. Savoring for the now fourth time? Rat King. Maybe? Rat Legend, dude. He's he's rat, rat god. Legend. At this point, he's rat god. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah, but this must be the episode where everyone's kind of breaking apart because he frees her and 
he's just angry with her. And basically after he frees her, he's like, you are just like Kalenthi. You bring nothing but death and violence and, you know, all this stuff that you're around happens and you're just like her. And Siri's like, I, you know, I can't, I got to move forward. And Dara's like, you're right, princess. You do like a nice little dig being petty. And he leaves her. So no more Dara. They they now separate because he's saying they should have stayed in Brokilon. And she's like, how do I, how should have I have known? And he's like, you you said you would stay. So yeah, that's that's that. Um, Don't they totally go their separate ways at that point. Right? It's, yeah, it's and been I mean, nothing but his, garbage <laughs> for him. Yeah, his his life has yeah has just gotten way worse. Um. But we're back at the inn and Fringella, the mage of Nilfgaard, mm-hmm. also one of Yennefer's fellow students, uh, is tending to Cahir's wounds. And we see that he literally killed everyone in the tavern. And Fringella's like, you know, the silver test would have sufficed. And I think Cahir responded along the lines of like, there's no way it would have let me do that without killing me. So. Yeah justifying that he had to kill everybody in the tavern um and she says she needs to be he needs to be more careful she witnessed the white flame calling on him anointing him um and this is when he wipes the blood from his sword and he says the time of the sword and the axe is nigh pretty cool thing to say i wish i was in a position to say stuff like that more often well, just be the chosen son of Nilfgaard and should be easy peasy. Okay. Do you want to start a, the nation of Nilfgaard with me? <laughs> I will say when I played um, The Witcher 3, I used a Nilfgaard deck in Gwent. It was my favorite one. You know what? When I built enough cards for the Nilfgaard deck, I also use a Nilfgaard deck because there's so many good spies. Oh, the, the cards are just so good. Yeah anyway exactly but that's it that's episode six of the witcher um kind of seems like everybody has gone their separate ways and you're like okay isn't everyone supposed to come together somehow what's going on here yeah but uh it gets it gets real sad uh, it is it is a sad episode you know the white flame and i think we'll talk about it a little bit more in the next episode but uh you know what i i believe having played the game you should know who the white flame is um but man they really make it seem like a religious thing when it re- i'm not going to spoil it for those who haven't uh because i don't it is not revealed what the white flame is in this season so i, I feel like i shouldn't spoil that for people but um it's not really a complex concept of like what the white flame is uh, but they're making it feel like it is. They're making it feel like it's like a, a pseudo-religious thing. So uh, I am interested to see the eventual reveal of the White Flame. Uh, again, I'm talking in v- vague terms right now because I don't want to spoil anything. But it's just it's a, a yet another interesting angle that they the showrunners are taking for The Witcher. So um, I will be look be looking out for that. Uh, if you are new to the series, be looking out for anything mentioning the the white flame. Uh, shall we do episode seven, my good friend? Yeah, yeah, we can go right into it. And th- and so this is where it's another confusing 
garbage. Ep- this is a garbage episode, in my opinion. All the episodes up to this point, uh, I enjoyed in some degree. The epi- episode six, there was a lot of flaws, but still some cool stuff. You know, who cares? Episode seven, wow, was this, in my opinion, not needed. <laughs> it's just it's a rehashing, and like again. I get that's that they true. were trying to stitch things together, and maybe they thought that this penultimate episode would be kind of like a mind blow, like "Whoa, it's all connected!" Oh, wow, like, uh, but it just—they it, don't stick the landing at all. It—it it, it ends up just being like, "I've seen this already," and it's weird that Geralt's here. <laughs> it's weird that Geralt was there the whole time. Uh, yes, it does not feel like a payoff. It feels like a. Uh, like we are paying for our like our sins or something in hell. <laughs> it's torturous, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, wow. That being said, Austin, kick us off, dude. Um. So we open up. We're with Siri. She's in a town. She's by herself now. Um. She's clearly she's learned a lot on the road, and she's looking for passage to Skellige. And she asks a guy, "How long is the travel to the coast?" And he's like, "With a good horse, a week." And she's like, well, what about on foot? And he just laughs, walks away. Um, And this is when a woman comes up and is like, you know, it's dangerous for someone to be alone. And Siri kind of responds like, well, isn't everywhere dangerous when you're alone? So that's kind of like, uh, you know, that's kind of one of the one of the things there. Um, You know, she offers her a roof over her head and some food and she repays her by stealing one of her horses and galloping away to get to Skellige. Um, meanwhile, we're with Geralt. He's at the top of a hill mountain pass. And there's a really long line of black soldiers, which we would easily Mm -hmm. assume that that's Nilfgaard. They're Nilfgaard and soldiers. And this is the Amel pass, which if you remember from episode one is the path into Sintra. Yeah. So immediately it's like, okay, we're back into the time, the space time continuum of the Witcher. And it's very confusing. Yep. Because we're back. Like, um, good luck. New viewers. (laughs) Good luck. Indeed. This, like, yeah, I've already, I've already said what I needed to say about episode seven. Sorry. Exactly. And I mean, so Geralt, meets Malzak like at the depth of um the castle in Sintra and says, you know, sea of black and gold in the Amel Mountains, the Nilfgaardian army's coming. And you know, as they're talking, you know, Malzak's talking about the law of surprise and how he should have been there and that the parents Pavetta and Urchin died. Um they were lost at sea. I think on mm-hmm. on their way to Skellige or on their way back, they they both died. So Kalenthi has been raising Siri by herself as her own, and Geralt didn't know all of this. And Malzak's like, "What has your head been in the sand this whole time? You know, wake up and smell the roses, Geralt." Um, so he clearly doesn't know. But as they're con- you know conversing, there's shadows along the walls, and Geralt's like, "Oh, so." You got sent here and actually to to get me killed. Were you followed? And he's like, no. Um, but sure enough, eight guys pop out 
And uh, he takes Malzak hostage a little bit, and Geralt and Malzak's like, "What yeah. are you doing? If you know, we're both gonna die now." And he's like, "You know, you and your destiny. If that's destiny, then this is meant to be, kind of a thing." Um, but they portal out, so they're okay. Um, so we get to Kalenthi, and she's walking with her guards, uh, speaking about Nilfgaard, the impending battle and um you know they're saying the Sintran soldiers are saying they're gonna feel a lot better with the the, the 50 Skellige ships that are on their way right um and I and Malzak too had said that they'd been preparing you know fortifying the walls and you know more soldiers this that and the other so they've been preparing for this inevitability that Nilfgaard would come cause they've been doing it to everybody um and as Kalenthi's talking, Geralt and Malzak come out of what looks like just like a, a shop or an alley or something. Yeah. And she sees Geralt and everybody draws steel. And Geralt's really mad that she tried to have him killed. And he's like, I'm claiming, you know, Siri the Law of Surprise. And, uh,. Kalenti's not not having it. She's like, where you know, where were you when she needed you? When her parents died, I've you know taken yeah. her under my my wing, and you're you know who are you? She obviously wasn't a big fan of the Law of Surprise to begin with. And Malzak's like, look, it's not handing her over would de- defy destiny, and we already know that's not we a good thing to do. Literally saw what happens. <laughs> it's not a good thing and bad vibe. you know yeah bad vibe exactly and Kalenthi is also is now like you know series all i have left of my daughter um understandable but at the same time you watch you watch the universe explode a little bit last time this happened so like what are you doing Exactly. And she's also acting eh. like, uh, hey, uh, where were you, Geralt? Even though she was like, I'll kill you if you come back. So Yeah, exactly. And Geralt had been gone. It's been 12 years. Geralt says it's been 12 years yeah. since he's last been there. So that just gives you a time of how long it's been right. since he was there. And Geralt's like, look, bitch. <laughs> oh, if Siri survives, Pavetta lives on. You know, I, I is my duty to protect her. And I... You know, don't want to be here. You know, this is not what I want to do, but she's in danger. And so that's why I'm here. And Kalenthi's like, okay, I relent. You know, that's fine. Or does or she? Or does she? So Geralt approaches and introduces himself to a young girl. Uh, the camera turns and it's definitely not Siri. Budget Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Gurgi. <laughs> I'm Gargi of Santra. <laughs> I am her daughter. Like that? Nope. Gosh. That's not it. <laughs> Get out of uh, here. Yeah. Um. And he, I mean, Geralt knows. He's like, okay, this is definitely not her. Well, he doesn't um, like. No, no. He doesn't know, no. But he's he not. He's it. like, oh, this is too. He's like, this is too easy. Yeah. But he doesn't say anything, and. This is where it gets confusing. Uh, you know, Kalenthi is obviously trying to pull a fast one on him. And as they're walking by, 
you know, he's got her. Siri's outside disguised playing knuckle bones with the group of commoners. Yep. So that is how we met Siri, and that's, I think, it's like trying to come to a head here with episode yeah, one and, and episode seven. So It's like a time travel movie or some shit like that. You know, like where they like they rehash the past and they have to like keep doing things over and over again to get it right. Like that, like that's how this kind of came off to me. And it's, I don't know, I don't know if this was a good idea because if when this show and here's my main issue now, I was waiting till like our last episode for The Witcher, but I'll say it now and maybe I'll rehash it again later. But the these are the first two books are short stories. Okay, so I see why they thought they could like put them like they were concurrent stories but really it's the chronology is all over the place and it's actually taking place in different timelines like whatever but the next books are like they're more of your standard novels so they're not going to have the same ability to have concurrent storylines but it feels like that was so built into how the stories were told is that like time is cyclical and thus patterns unfold no matter what time period is but that's not we don't have that information anymore going into like the next bits of source material. So I'm just I'm I'm very I just think it I don't know. I think it was a bad choice. If I have to say it definitively, I think overall it damaged the storytelling ability and I think they would have gotten a great show if they would have focused on telling it in some sort of standard chronology. Um, yeah, because it's like yeah. it's super confusing as you watch it, just knowing like you know, but you this time you know you're not in the same uh, in space and time as you just were in the previous episode because they basically say that and you're like, okay, I'm definitely back in episode one, but now Geralt's here when he wasn't here, but apparently he was there. Uh, it's just confusing, but um. So Geralt basically figures it out, puts two and two together that he doesn't have the right Siri. Um and he confronts Kalenthi and she's she's very Kalenthi about it. It's like basically F off. It's your fault Pavetta's dead if you didn't come here and lift Urchin's curse. She wouldn't have married him and she'd still be alive and you suck, it's all your fault, blah 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 blah. And old bro dude King Ice is like he just got back from his home uh, town, you know, Skellige, and he's like, "Look, Kalanthi, you can't, you know, this is a law of surprise. We got to honor this. You know, I'm, I'm very traditional. We got to do this, as he was in episode four. Um, so there's this entire exchange about whether or not Sirius should go, Sirius should stay. Geralt relents, and he's like, "Fine, I'll return if she is in danger." So, there. Compromise made. Um, we don't get the resolution because now we're in a place called Nazaire. It looks like an archaeological dig. Yeah. Some Indiana Jones style looking stuff. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it's a massive, it's like a huge black rock formation. Uh, mag Magnolith? Um very fitting because Nilfgaard is excavating. They're all black. They're at a black volcanic rock formation. Yay. Yeah. Um, black on black. It's not really clear what this is because, again, this is all invented for the show. Um, it's 
certainly a task that is uh, performed all the time by mages in this universe. So it's definitely fitting uh, that they're you know doing an excavation and looking for artifacts. So a pretty pretty cool uh, pretty cool visual here. I'm not, I mean again I'm not really sure how important it was, but yeah. Probably the place is not important, but the person that's there is. And we find out that Istrid, Yennefer's old buddy and lover from Artuza, is there. Old He's got girl. a beard, so yeah. that they, you know, they're saying time has passed. He he was beardless. Now he has a beard. Um, and. He's looking for something. It's some an object related to a prophecy, and he's like, "Oh, Nilfgaard's funding this. They're great. You know, they look out for their people. I've been sipping the black and gold Kool Aid. I'm Team Nilfgaard. Nilfgaard forever." <laughs> the way the way, the way Nilfgaard sounds in a southern accent is uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Nilfgaard, like it just wee. I hate it. I don't even know why it's uncomfortable, but it, I, I I know I hate it in my in the deepest pit of my soul. Well, Yennefer challenges him and is like, "Well, you know, starving your people is taking care of them. You know, war and pillaging and killing. You know, is that is that really is that really taking care of them?" And he's and like, "You know, nah, they haven't. That ain't me." He, <laughs> well, he doesn't really answer. He's like, he's like, well, you know. Team Nilfgaard, baby. Sup, <laughs> they got me these t-shirts. It. Team Nilfgaard. Yeah, they're funding my research. They're funding my research. Um, but essentially, Yennefer's trying to get him to run away with her. But he's like, nah, babe, I'm in too deep now. I'm in, I'm, I'm dug in like a tick. There you go. There's a Southern reference for you. Yeah. Um, so he's he's not gonna leave. He's like maybe once upon a time back in the day, but you know we're different now. He's like the Yennefer I knew back then is not the person that's standing in front of me. You made your choice, so I had to make mine. And you know while it's nice to think uh, the life that could have been, it's not. So I'm not gonna think about it. And so Yennefer is leaving dejectedly, and we meet Vilgefortz, nice. another mage dressed up like a soldier. And he's like, yo, Yennefer, Nilfgaard is actually conscripting mages for war, and you should come with me to Artuza. Um, you know, while the Brotherhood of Sorcerers thinks you're dangerous and unpredictable. And scary. That's exactly what we need. And that's what Taseya said. Taseya said, we need you because you're crazy, essentially. Crazy powerful. And uh, like you, it's pretty well known that she's... Got some raw strength. Yes. And he says Taseya considers Yennefer her greatest student. And upon hearing that, she's like, Mm-mm-mm. we're going home. Yeah. Brushes the dirt off her shoulders. She goes, okay. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so we're back. We're back in Artuza from episode two. So we, we back, are, dude, we back. We're, we're back. Um, you know, she's hearing, walking through the stone walls, having the flashbacks, you know, within herself, the time she tried to kill herself, her first lessons with Taseya. She gets into her old room and she runs into some new girls in there. Um, there's a girl named Fola with a burn on her face. A new class. So she... New class. Yeah. She teaches Fresh the meat. girls some some herb mixing 
which Taseya apparently forbade. And That's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just they, a, it's she, just transparently weed. She's like, you guys want to do? She some teaches weed? them how to get how to transcend. Quote, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. nudge. What's so, the mage version of four twenty? <laughs> I, when the sun rises, <laughs> uh, ju- I'm just gonna shoot this down before you, <laughs> bro. What time is it? Oh, it's sunset. <laughs> you know what that means? Transcend. Get the herbs. Get the herbs, dude. No, oh, dude. Oh my god. Totally urban right I'm now, urban bro. Out, dude, I'm freaking out. <laughs> I'm ur- I'm freaking out on my urban. Dude. I'm eeling out, dude. Be <laughs> <laughs> like an eel, dude. <laughs> I feel like I'm being used as a battery, dude. It's so weird, man. I can't like feel my limbs. Wait, I'm, an, I'm a literal eel, dude. Oh no! <laughs> Don't push me in the pool, juice. Ah! <laughs> then it's over. Then it's over. <laughs> that was great. That was good. And uh, That's- well, we're not quite there yet. Uh, there's probably a, a little bit more you want to talk about first. I'm sure. Yeah, well, uh, Yennefer finds out that these punks actually paid their way into Artuza. That's just um, wrong. And the Brotherhood of Sorcerers wants students from the best families and not just the castaways like Yennefer was. And she's stunned that some of them haven't even had a conduit moment. There's, you know... They didn't even perform any kind of magic, so they don't even know. They have no idea. Basically, Yennefer got a perfect score on her SAT. She did all her extracurriculars. She was in drama club. She got into Harvard. Then she comes back for the alumni party, and there's a bunch of uh, sons and daughters of oil tycoons sitting in there in in Harvard jackets. And she's like, this is bullshit. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) can't believe this. Well... She kind of punks them a little bit, and she takes them to the windmill, which is where the eels are. Um, and obviously, it's students who didn't ascend. Uh, obviously, it's being sacrificed in a way to where they just lose their choice to be conduits. Yeah. And uh, she says, enough bridled chaos to keep the curtains hung and the torches lit. You know, basically like, mm, you guys, this is going to be you. You know, this is going to be you. But, uh... Yeah, pretty brutal. Pretty brutal thing to learn right up front. Yeah, and I mean, also on top of that, she obviously is mad that these people just paid their way in and they're not magical. But then on top of that, that they're going to make you basically infertile. Like, you lose that ability. Um, yeah. Like, you... And that's a, obviously a huge deal to her, but, of course, these stupid, rich teenagers are like, <laughs> yeah. we don't care. Just because you fucked it up doesn't mean we will. Wow! What a, a little shithead. <laughs> yeah, that's what she says. She literally she literally says yeah. that. Get out of here. Um, and her daddy paid... Uh, to get into our Artuza with a shitload of horses, so you know. Oh my god! Take that, Yennefer. <laughs> That's. Oh, I hate that. That's literally like the daughter of the guy who owns Porsche. <laughs> it's like, 
Hey, <laughs> I bought the, <laughs> I bought all the Deans, a nice little uh, Cayenne, <laughs> so my daughter yeah. can get in. Exactly, it's like the USC uh, scandals. Oh yeah, or whatever. Like basically paying their way to get in, and then they don't do anything and pass. Right. Oh, who was who was the lady that was like refusing to say she was guilty? That was on a uh, Full House. Yeah, I I know who you're talking about. But I don't know. Her I don't name. know her name either. But this just yeah, literally that's it in Geralt's the, in the Witcher world. This is them. Literally, yeah. it's them. There we are. Um, but to say appears in, um, you know, sh- shoes the girls away, and then Yennefer's like, "Okay, this is some straight bullshit. These bitches can't even do magic. <laughs> Why are they here?" And yeah, and to say is like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" I wish. Whoa. I wish they would have. She would have said it exactly how you just said it. <laughs> And she's like, sometimes you have to compromise in order to survive. Whatever that means. But, but I mean, yeah. it, it's, a, it's a shitty situation, but they're literally in self-preservation mode. They're doing whatever it takes. And if rich families think that coming here is going to get them magic powers, then, yeah, we'll take a shitload of horses for you to be an idiot. Um, That's fine. If I may, this is actually something that I really like about the Witcher universe. Say what you want about this episode. I, I certainly have said what I said about this episode. But um, one thing I really appreciate about the Witcher universe, and it's reflected perfectly here in this conversation, mages are vulnerable. Um, like I alluded to earlier in this episode, uh, Yennefer in the books is outsmarted by a normal uh, warrior uh, by throwing a steel ball into her face when she's not looking, that kind of thing. Um, these are vulnerable people, but they're also vulnerable institutions and organizations of mages too. Like they're not perfect. They're not overpowered is uh, really what I'm trying to say here, as opposed to most other sources of fantasy where mages just do what they do and they always have resources and they're always fine and they only die at the most dramatic circumstances. So I, I enjoy that Taseya is resorting to some like you know she's got to do what she's got to do to keep the place keep the lights on um it sucks for like the prestige and Jennifer's like pride in like her training but it is it's an interesting concept to see mages in like dire situations oh yeah it and to your point like you said they do a good job of showing I guess I'll just literally repeat what you said, how vulnerable and they're literally human. Magic can't solve everything for them. Right. Like they're not just going to be able to magically turn the lights on. Like they got to, they got to keep them on. They got to pay the bills like everybody else. They need that eel juice, like, I, dude. I, like, they, they do need that eel juice. <laughs> oh gosh. You know they what? do though. That, that, that is a thing. You know, that I just is, realized that is a Austin? real thing. We have what we've alluded to some sort of blue liquid twice already, and I just realized that the eel juice is also blue. We have some blue sort milk? of connection with blue juice and Gatorade, uh, frost flavor. Um, it's if you're a listening, great flavor. Great if flavor. you're listening, we're ready to be your vanguards. Okay, we're ready to be your Ooh. brand advocates. 
put just balls in your court. <laughs> the pitch has been made. Balls in yeah, balls in your court. There you go. Um, but yeah, I think lastly, the last thing that happens is, uh, or one of the last things is Yennefer runs into Triss, who we, so we're connecting. We've done episode one, two, and four. Now we're with three with Triss, uh, very briefly. And she says that Nilfgaard has taken Marnadal. Marnadal? And that is a strategically important mountain pass to invade Sintra? Yeah. Um, that's actually one thing I'd like to point out Uh, the Witcher universe as you might have realized does not have a name the continent is just called the continent there is no name for the Witcher world there's not even a full world map there's not even a full continent map there's not even a full map of the, the known kingdoms the only map that exists of the Witcher world is of the northern kingdoms of which Nilfgaard is not even uh, endemic to. Uh, they've only taken over Vizima, uh, typically, um, at the time of the books. Um, that boundary shifts north and south a little bit um, as the events of the books go on, but uh, it, we're you're lucky at all to get like specific names of places uh, in this in the in the books in the show in the games. So uh, interesting that they even bothered referring to like a random place like Marnadol. But uh, interesting, nonetheless, that it's successful despite, uh, you know, most fantasy settings have having like a very well, like detailed map. I just I think that's so interesting on part of Sapkowski uh, to not really care about that. Well, speaking of maps, that's that's where we're headed. War room, we're baby. in we're in the war room. Uh, all of Artuza's big wigs. Uh, the Brotherhood, the the sorceresses, everybody's in there. And they're discussing what to do about the Nilfgaard situation. They're literally taking over everything. It's probably not good. We should probably do something about that. But some of the guys, old Stregobor from Stregobor. episode one, and also he's in another one. Two. He's in two. One and two. Um He's like, ah, well, you know, Sintras turned their back on us. They don't really let mages in. They don't deserve our help. Fuck them. You know? Yeah. And, uh... Classic Stregobor. Yeah. Tissaia and Vilgefortz are like, okay, well, look, old guy. If we let Nilfgaard continue on, it's gonna be the end of us. Like, we're toast. Like, we gotta do something to help them. Um... Because if we don't help Sintra, we're they're like the last strong nation that could actually stop Nilfgaard. So we have to do something about it. Uh, you know, and right. that's why Yennefer comes in, and Yennefer's very like she obviously doesn't like being here because this place sucks now because now they got rich snobby people that don't even do magic here. Um, and now she's come to find that she's basically been brought in to help support the side that needs to fight Nilfgaard. Um, and she kind of, I mean, she doesn't really give like a good answer. She kind of just calls everyone assholes in a way. And like, you know, and I think it gets blamed like, Oh, if Yennefer just would have gone to Nilfgaard, we wouldn't have even been in this situation either. And you know, blah, 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 blah. But 
yeah, I mean, I think it, it comes to a head that Yennefer understands the problem. I don't think she outright says, like, yeah, I'll help, but I think it's it's just an understanding that, yeah, okay, something does need to happen because it, it is a problem, and if we don't solve the problem, it's going to be our problem, and we're not going to be able to handle the right. problem. It's just a big problem. Big it's going to completely destabilize the, the realm, and then their ability to make money as mages is going to be completely compromised, so... Good job, Stregobor, you idiot. Yeah. You know, you can't send mages to advise countries that don't exist because they're all Nilfgaard. Right. So, you know, there. That's what, what have you there. But yeah. uh So that's that's the the situation in our excuse me, in Artuza. We're back in Sintra and it's Rehash Not city. great. Yeah, it, it's like, oh, this is very familiar. We, you know, the only difference is Geralt is now. We know Geralt's here. He's walking around, I think but like, I, we, we literally see like exact footage that we've already seen. Yeah, and well, I, get, I think I should have mentioned that when Gate Geralt was like, I'll just come back if she's in danger. Well, Kalenti actually is like, well, actually, I'm going to throw your ass in prison. So oh, I'm going to yeah, throw yeah, him in yeah, a yeah, cell. Yeah, right. So how about how about them apples, Gerald? So <laughs> exactly. So he's there, locked up, and so he we get to see all of this, and we see you know Kalenti dying, uh, telling Siri to flee, Gerald's your destiny, jumping out the window, all that stuff. Um, you know, I I don't remember for whatever reason I think Gerald was. Like from his cell outside, he saw Kalenthi hit the ground from jumping out the window. I'm pretty sure he saw it. He saw someone fall. I don't know if he knew it was Kalenthi until he like walks outside, right? Well, I think he saw him fall. Like he saw her fall and he goes up and sees it's her. And then he goes inside the castle to look for Siri. Um, uh, and I don't know. He, he maybe because he goes in there. I was kind of blanking he, out during this part. He goes in there and he confronts a Nilfgaardian soldier, like pins him on the wall, um, and he's like, "Where's the girl, or I'll kill you." And this dude is like straight brainwashed because he's like, "We shall be born anew, thus it shall be." And Geralt's like, "All right, well, I'm gonna kill you because you're useless," uh, and does so. You know, he's just rattling off some weird religious doctrine that. Yep. I guess, I mean, you know, obviously, Fringilla and Kay here talking about the Empire adopting the White Flame, and, right. you know, this is kind of like what the Nilfgaards are, are are a part of now. I mean, really, that's it, you know. Uh, and Siri is a piece of that, so... Yeah. Um, uh, and this might be a good point, just time to mention this. So, again, this is what I was saying earlier. The white flame comes up again. It's got you're right. It does have this weird religious brainwashed feel to it, which again in the books, uh, the white flame is important to Nilfgaard, but it's not the pseudo religious uh, fanatic thing. I will say, however, Nilfgaard is a military machine. Um, they are super dominant. They're super well organized, and they. 
they do not suffer being spread out over such a giant area of dominance, uh, like Rome, like Alexander the Great's uh, uh, armies. Um, they don't have those issues that a lot of big armies have. Uh, typically, armies of history that succeed in such a way, uh, they're connected to a very strong religious core. Um, either their leader is seen as a god or they are in service of a god that they really uh, believe in and that that trickles into their military, um, much like... Uh, uh, like the Templar uh, invasion of the Middle East back back in the day, the uh, the Crusades. God, I couldn't can't think. Um, so this is an interesting detail, and uh, if I had to guess, I think they're kind of pulling from history here and injecting a little bit of this like idea that they're a little bit fanatical because uh, that is really how big armies conquer. Uh, without that kind of infrastructure, uh, that higher calling. It's very easy for armies to fall apart. So uh, I think this is another feather in uh, the show writer's cap. Yeah, definitely. And to your point, like the you have to have the nation believing in something, you know, moving forward. And right. you have to have the, the conduit, so to speak, leading the charge to spread throughout the, the nation. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what they got. You got to have your soldiers um, drinking that eel juice, man. <laughs> Yo, true. Back to Siri. Yeah, that's it. The the end of the episode. So Siri's alone. Remember, she stole a horse. Um, I think it's funny. She's talking to the horse. And she realizes yeah. she's talking to the horse. And she's right. like, well, what idiot would talk to their horse? And we know Geralt likes to do that. So, yeah. Yep. You know, it's it's funny. It's funny. Um. So she's alone again in the countryside. It's kind of like a marshy, fieldy kind of thing. Um, and a group of young men approach her, and she's like, oh, these are the people I played Knucklebones with. and But they've changed, and uh, they're like, you don't give the orders anymore, princess. There's a, a bounty on your head, and um, we're taking you in. And they attack her, and... Then this is where it gets kind of weird. Um, she starts chanting in an otherworldly voice. Uh, and I believe it's verily I say unto you, the era of the sword and the axe is nigh. The era of the wolf's blizzard. The time of the white chill and the white light is nigh. The time of madness and the time of contempt. So... The sword and axe line we literally just heard in the episode before. So it's all white flame related, but we don't really know anything as show viewers about this. Connor, what can you shed some light yes. on it yourself? This is a uh I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest, spoilers. So uh if you care about uncovering these secrets for yourself uh we're at the end of the episode so go ahead and uh jump off otherwise uh i, I will try to keep it vague uh as much as i can this is ithalin's prophecy uh this prophecy specifically refers to how m a lot of uh this is not a universally held belief because it's kind of within more educated circles believe in ithalin's prophecy or have even heard of it but this is basically a, a prophecy about the world's end um, something called the White Frost, uh, and here it's called the White Chill, 
uh, is said uh, to eventually consume all of the cosmos. So a literal frozen force is consuming um, consuming everything, which from a scientific perspective is actually quite similar to the prophesied uh, prophecy is not the right word, but to the um, assumed heat death of the universe. Uh, the universe will eventually, uh, because of entropy, lose all of its heat and will become too cold to support life anywhere, and that is how all energy will die. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of a very scientific prophecy in a way. Um, obviously, the white chill is a magical force, or at least it's seen as a magical force. But that's what the white chill means. In terms of the white light, um, I have no um, no doubt that this is referring to uh, the uh, the white flame of Nilfgaard, which again we'll hear about. So it's 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 involving a lot of whiteness into it. Uh, it also says the wolf's blizzard. This is something that I'm not too sure about because they already mentioned the time of the white chill, which is obviously Ithilin's prophecy. So to see the wolf's blizzard, I think that must speak to something a little different. Obviously the wolf is Geralt's, uh, witcher school. Um, as far as what the blizzard means, um, that could just be an intentionally vague statement about, He's about to go on sort of his main quest with Siri and with Yennefer. And you can see his blizzard as his influence spreading across a large area. So like the wolf's blizzard, it's kind of like his him coming into his true purpose uh, and kind of, like I said, covering the land with um, his his cause. Um, and in the time of madness and the time of contempt, uh, that speaks to more of the sword and the axe part, in my opinion. Um, wars are coming. Um, not just to Sintra. Sintra is really just the beginning. This is the inciting incident for the northern uh, for the northern war, as it's sometimes called, the war between Nilfgaard and the northern realms. Uh, and that that setting, that war between the powers of the north and Nilfgaard, that is really the background for a lot of Geralt's adventures. Um, so I believe this is saying this is basically the new world state that's coming into fruition. This is what's happening, um, and you'd be wise to start thinking about Ithilin's prophecy coming for you as well. So, Woo! Uh, which Siri has a big involvement in, I should say, but yeah, that's as much as I'll say about that. Well, that's actually more insight than we've gotten. So there's that, that works, that checks, that rates. I like it. I'm a big fan. Yeah. People, um, uh, I've noticed in a couple threads and actually a couple of my friends, they, uh, a lot of people, are really hung up, hung up about the white flame business. Um, I'll tell you, at least from the books and from the games, the white flame is, it's a, like I said, it's a, not a complex thing. Once it's revealed, I think it'll be pretty straightforward. Like, Oh, that's what they meant. Um, so I wouldn't be too upset if you're confused by the white flame. Um, it should be revealed to you pretty soon, pretty soon. Perfect. I, I would imagine season two. I can't see it. I, I have a hard time seeing it not be in season two. Well, that means we have to wait till 2021, but... Yeah. Well, yeah, you know. That's what you have us for. Right. Well, we help you fill the gaps a little bit so it's not as confusing. Or or, uh, or you're not as lost. So, there you have it. Yep. But, I think it's just... More episodes that are more confusing, but it's all, I guess, kind of coming to a head. And I think 
my first walkthrough or walkthrough my first watch um by the time we got here i think it all made sense when i understood that like Geralt was in Sintra at the time of the invasion so everything before had happened beforehand it wasn't uh, a parallel you know continuum with siri and Geralt. it was Geralt well before this yeah which, I mean, like, even still, obviously you know that when he's with Pavetta, Siri's mother, but, um, you know, you still don't know in the interim if yeah, that was just a one-off flashback. So, just uh, a lot of confusing stuff, but we're coming to a head here, and we've got one more episode to break down whoop, whoop. Uh, next, next week. So, um, that concludes the dive. Uh, we'll go ahead and surface back. The interim, really fast, I just want to say milestone passed for us. We're at 497 downloads when we started. I just refreshed it to take a look. 501. No way, dude. What? Pretty cool. We're over 500 total um, across our episodes, our six episodes. So... Thank you again, um, and I'll just reiterate, follow us on social media, Dweeb Dive, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, new content coming to Instagram. And on top of that, if you follow us on Instagram, you get the really funny videos that Connor gets to broadcast before we record, um, and you'll find out that we actually don't record next to each other, so that's a fun little fact there. Yeah. But a lot of new content coming in, so you definitely want to follow us for that. And then on top of that, uh, reviews. Please leave them for us. We'd love your feedback we'll, to see what we can improve, what you like, what you don't like. Are we hitting everything you want? Are we missing something? Just let us know. And uh, suggestions for our, our upcoming series. We're wrapping up The Witcher, and we've got a contingency of um, Altered Carbon Season 2. So that show came out about maybe two years ago, a year, two yeah, years buddy. ago. And I love Season 1. Uh, Connor's yet to watch it, but that's kind of on the docket. But if there's something else in the interim, a movie, another show that you're super into, let us know. I'm yep. sure we actually know more about it uh, just because we're super dweeby and nerdy. That's yeah. right. Uh, yeah. Thank you guys for uh, 500 downloads. Uh, again, I've already said this, but it's crazy that even one person has listened to our show one time. So, uh Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I really, I really have no words. Uh, if there's any Oscar movies, by the way, that you want us to cover, please let us know. We were thinking maybe about Parasite or one of the other fabulous movies that uh, were nominated. So if that is of any interest, let us know. Um, otherwise, I think that that does it for us, Austin. That it does. So thanks again for diving in with us on our deep dwi- <laughs> deep dive. Wow. Hey. Way to stick the landing there, dude. <laughs> All right, dude. Well, yep. Uh, that that ends Start, it. Yep. I think that's Bye. all I can say. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dweeb Dive. If you liked what you heard, please, please, please like and give us a follow so we can continue diving into your favorite topics. There's been a lot of hot takes. There's been a lot of claims, a lot of references to the deep lore. If you have a question, a comment, feedback, you're angry with me for something perhaps inaccurate I said, which is very likely, please do not hesitate to reach out on our accounts and ask us the big questions. We would love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.